stuff with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland, executive producer here at HowStuffWorks.com. And of course, I love everything technological. And today, I have a special treat for you guys because we have a guest here inside the studio. It's not someone over the phone. It's someone I can actually look at in person. In fact, he's a very good friend of mine because he let me ride on his bicycle. Ryan Hirsch, welcome to the show. What's up, guys? Yeah, Honored and obliged to be here. It's great. Yes, yes. We uh, we made sure that there was a direct obligation for him to appear on Tech Stuff. So, Ryan, you you're the founder of Edison Bikes, I am. and Edison Bikes is is located right here in Atlanta. And uh, you were very generous with your time, and you brought some of the Edison bikes here to the office. Uh, multiple people here at HowStuffWorks has, have had a chance to ride it. Edison bikes are uh, electric bikes, pedal-assist bikes, which I've talked about a couple times on Tech Stuff, but it's so great to actually have someone who developed one of these right here so we can even talk about what that process was like. From the point where you thought of it to the point where you started kind of just getting your hands dirty and workshopping this to getting to an actual shippable product, something where you can actually put it together, people can order it, buy it, ride it, you see them around Atlanta. So we're going to go all through that journey. But before we jump into your personal story, I thought in order for people to really kind of understand uh, some of the things that inspired you to do this. It's good to sort of talk about the city we live in, Atlanta. Now, this podcast goes all over the world, and there are a lot of cities out there that are similar to Atlanta. I would say Atlanta is like cities like Houston, Texas, where typically the way people get around is by car. It's slowly changing in Atlanta. We're starting to see more pedestrian walkways. We're starting to see more bike lanes, which is fantastic. But traditionally, cars were the way it... it the way of the world for places like Atlanta. You just public transportation, while it exists, it just cannot measure up to cities like New York or Chicago, right? So that means that we live in a in a city that has been plagued by traffic problems. We're constantly in that top ten in the United States for worst traffic cities, right? And so seeing a that as the backdrop. We're in this world where a commute is easily 40 minutes or more, even if you are living relatively close to where you need to go. Uh, that gives a very strong impetus to come up with alternative solutions. And as I understand it, that's kind of where your story begins, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You nailed it, Jonathan. And it's it's a little bit embarrassing, right, that uh, we're always on the top 10 for worse traffic. Yeah. Uh, however, when you look at our population, we don't have that many people, right? It's like 5.5 right. 5 million people. Uh, and we're being com compared to cities that are, you know, almost 10 times our size. It's like, what in the world are we doing wrong? Right. Right? Yeah, and and I mean, yeah, the solutions tend to be we've seen it over and over. Let's build more roads, or let's make the roads right. more 100%. wide. And that just doesn't that's that's just not how the world works. Like if you make a, a here's the secret: if you add more lanes to a road, what you have just done is just added more cars to that road at that one yep, time. A it, thousand percent. It feels like you're increasing capacity, but it just means that there's just more cars there at, during rush hour. It really doesn't seem to help. The the best way to get rid of traffic is to remove the need for using cars in the first place. So the more you can reduce that need by giving alternatives, 
the the smoother everything is. It's not just the people who are actually using the alternative forms of transportation. For the people who are still clinging to dear life to their cars, there right. are fewer cars on the road. Absolutely. So you were you were uh, tell me the story about why you started thinking about going with this route, this this sort of electric bike pedal assist route. Sure, sure. So uh, back in 2012, I took a job with Emory, and uh, I was living OTP at the time, which is a dirty, dirty word. Yeah, that means outside the perimeter for all of you folks who are not in Atlanta. There is a highway called 285, and it circles uh, not just the city of Atlanta, but some of the little surrounding areas like Decatur and well, I could go on forever localizing this podcast and alienating all of my listeners who don't live in the ATL. <laughs> yeah, sorry but, about that. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's no, no, it's important for this story. Uh, there is also, not that it's directly related to this, somewhat of a stigma for those of us who live inside the perimeter or ITP and those who live outside the perimeter or OTP. There's some snootiness involved. And I admit, though I was born OTP, now that I'm an ITP person, I have been known to be snooty. So you were living OTP. Okay, so I was living OTP. Uh, I took a job at Emory, and um, the commute was like 22 miles at the time, and it was just impossible by yeah. a car. If you're OTP, it's impossible to get ITP. Yeah. So um, so I did what anyone would do. I moved closer to work, mm-hmm. and uh, I moved to a cool little neighborhood called Kirkwood. Uh, it's about four miles south of where I worked. And believe it or not, my commute times were still just about exactly the same. It was taking me an hour to get to my desk. And this is ridiculous because <laughs> it's like uh, it's only four miles, right? I could I could pretty much walk that speed, right? But yeah. by the time I found a parking space, fought for that space, paid 12 bucks a day for that space, it was still taking me the same amount of time. So uh, that involved in... Uh, evolved into riding a normal pedal bicycle, which I would call an analog bicycle. Yeah. Um, and my commute time dropped from an hour down to 20 minutes. And that was great. Uh, but frequently I have to give presentations and stuff. I have to wear a tie. And uh, I would, you know, on a day like today, even in October, it's super hot outside. Right. Uh, I would show up sweaty. And a sweaty guy wearing a tie is like, the worst thing ever. Right. right. You're immediately, immediately everyone's like, this guy's not confident. He doesn't know what he's right. talking about. He's sweating it too much. Right. I was right. I'm a sweater. I'm he's, a sweater. I'm he's, a sweaty he's guy. got something to hide. <laughs> this, we're gonna, right. we're gonna nail this guy to the wall with our questions. That's, yeah. That's so how I felt. Atlanta is a very, I mean, we're in the Southeast. Our climate, especially like late spring all the way into late fall, you can get really high temperatures, really high humidity. Uh, I've I've experienced – I walk to and from work and I've experienced the same issue where by the time I get to the office, I have to have a change of clothes with right. me you because did. otherwise I'm just gross. Yeah. So uh, 2012, uh, I'm now riding my bike to work, getting sweaty. Uh, quick Google search. It turns out that electric bikes is a thing mm-hmm. because I, I loved – you know, being liberated from traffic, mm-hmm. but now there's this new set of challenges showing showing up to work sweaty. Now I got to find showers, all that kind of stuff. So electric bikes was a thing back in 2012. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, looking back on on bikes uh, back then, um, they were always like a a standard bicycle frame that was outfitted with three components. You got three components to an electric bike. Mm-hmm. You have a battery, a motor, and a controller. And we can geek out about those later. But um, you know, so you have a bike, and you could clearly see those three components connected to the bike, mm-hmm. uh, and the result was not very pretty. Um, uh, and I actually test rode a bike uh, at a shop, and 
I fell in love with the feeling of of riding a bike. It's it's addicting. It's empowering. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't care how the bike looked. It fixed my problem, right? Mm-hmm. So I get back from this test ride, uh, only to learn that that bike that I was riding was fifty five hundred bucks. And I've always been like a tinkerer throughout school. I was that guy that could fix your router uh, mm-hmm. or I could fix your boat. Like I just love taking things apart mm-hmm. and making them better. So after that test ride and uh, really being in, uh, discouraged by the price tag, I was like, I know, one, I can build something that's better looking than mm-hmm. this bike. Mm-hmm. But two, and definitely more importantly, I knew that I could build something that was more affordable. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly what I did. Uh, fast forward about six months and – uh, I didn't really achieve the better looking part. Uh, I had imported a bike from uh, Canada, uh, bicycle, like, um, you know, standard fixie frame, and I outfitted it with those three components that I was telling you about. And it wasn't pretty, but boy, did it work great. Mm-hmm. And um, people started to notice, right? I'm showing up to work early. Um, you know, I'm in a better mood because I'm not sitting behind the wheel. And uh, I was more than obliged to start building bikes, you know, for my coworkers, colleagues. Uh, friends, family. And, you know, that's when like the little light went off, right? I started getting feedback from these people that I had built bikes for. And uh, it was just, it was really encouraging, right? I mean, it was something that was born out of pure selfish needs. I was just trying to fix a problem that I have. And now all of a sudden, I'm fixing problems for for all these folks. And um, a few months after that, I'm looking at my iPhone and I get inspired by it. Because, like, I've always just been, like, a clean lines kind of guy. And, um, you know, when you look at an iPhone, it's just – it's a beautiful product. Yeah, Apple Apple's nothing if not amazing with their aesthetics. 100%. There they are. And even if you open one up, it's like like opening the hood of a Cadillac. Oh, sure. Everything's so tightly tightly packed. Everything fits precisely – like, there's not a – not a millimeter of spare space. It's all very neat how it all fits together. Exactly. So I was like – totally inspired by that. I was like, all the electrical bits that make this thing work are inside of the product itself. That's what I want to do with a bike because I'm not seeing that. Uh, so that's exactly what we did. Uh, instead of starting with a bicycle frame, we started with those components. We started with the the battery pack, which is 40, they're called 18650 battery cells, about the size of your index finger. And our packs have 40 of those in them. And then uh, on top of that, we have a controller. And we wanted to design a frame that would accommodate um, those two key components. Those are also some of the most expensive components, right? Mm. So by uh, integrating them inside of the product, you're protecting it from crashes, from the elements, from a pack of wolves, you know, like sure. whatever, right? It's all the expensive stuff is inside the frame. Uh, and then that third component, which is the motor, is actually sealed. It has a waterproof uh, rating, so it will work underwater. Um, because it's totally sealed, that means that it's self-lubricating. Uh, they're rated at 50,000 miles without needing any kind of service. So uh, we really spent money on uh, the parts that make these bikes electric because we figure if you're buying an electric bike, you're going to be using them pretty hardcore. Right. right. Um, so then uh, speaking of money, um, we're trying to make these things affordable, right? Uh, that was like the biggest barrier for me, right? I found a solution, but I can't afford it. And, um, you know, this isn't this isn't a toy. This isn't uh, for someone, you know, that's just going to park this next to their Tesla in their garage. And, you know, like this is for the guy who um, he has two jobs and he's got a 25 year old car that he can't afford to keep running. And all of a sudden this becomes a more viable means of transport. Right. right. We're spending less than two thousand dollars on a bike. And, um, you know, that's. 
you don't have uh, – it costs 10 cents to charge one of these things, right? You get 20 to 30 miles on a single charge. So you're talking about half a penny per mile. You don't have to insure it. Um, you know, you don't have to pump it full of gas. You don't really have like maintenance and oil changes and all that kind of stuff. Um, so if we could actually get people to like pull the plug on on their cars, right, mm-hmm. that frees up a lot of funds – um, you know, for Uber and Lyft on those rainy days, right? Yeah. So, and like that's what we're all about. Like, if we were really honest with ourselves on how much money we spend on car ownership, uh, speaking of which, Georgia actually leads the nation um, in cost of ownership on cars, mm. uh, then we can really like start to, um, you know, see transportation in a new light. Absolutely. So, and this is a ripple effect. I talk about ripple effects all the time on this show about how. A change in one area ends up having uh, further effects out from that immediate source. So, for example, you talked about how this was originally a personal project for you. Mm-hmm. You were literally trying to solve your own issue of getting to work, not being all sweaty, you know, not having to deal with traffic the way you had been doing. Uh, with classic engineering issue, right? You mm-hmm. you have a problem. You start asking yourself, what does it take to solve this problem? You then go forward the steps to solve that problem. You test it. You throw out anything that doesn't work. You keep everything that does work. And then from there, you say, all right, here's here's Mark 1, if we're going to use like right. Iron Man Love suit <laughs> technology. So Mark 1 right here, it's, like it's not the finished product, but this is the thing that does what I need it to do. Then you have your classic Second step, which is that other people take notice. This, by the way, reminds me, your story is remarkably similar to the story of the guys who founded the PC gaming company Alienware. You know, they build like those crazy gaming rigs that cost a couple thousand dollars. And they, when I had them on the show, it was the same thing. It was people who were, they were building the, these rigs in the nineties when all these crazy graphics cards are coming out. And it just was difficult to build a system that could run the the brand new games, the, the ones that were just coming out with 3D graphics. It was hard to do that because there were just so much, so much, uh, so many different products on the market and it was very confusing. So what they did was they built one for themselves and then they had all their friends say, Hey, would, if I, if I paid you, would you be able to build one for me? And it became a, a little boutique industry, which eventually grew into what it is today. So you, you're, and you're, you're talking about the hacker ethos, the idea of taking things apart and then seeing how they work and then make it work better than it did before. I mean, that's totally a hacker thing. That is hacking. (laughs) So, like, you're talking the language of tech stuff all throughout this already. The ripple effect I wanted to talk about is how you get to the point where, for personal savings point of view, uh, it becomes clear if you're able to say, like, this is actually a replacement uh, in in many of the uses where you would rely upon your vehicle – this could be a replacement for that, for the majority of those. Uh, you know, obviously some things being outside of that, if you're taking like a long road trip or whatever, those are obviously outside of it. But for daily commutes, it's, it's easy to say, all right, this is a transportation solution. This isn't just recreation, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't just, I've got a bike that I want to ride on Saturdays so I can ride around the park. I mean, you could do that if you wanted to, but this is more, Seriously, you could you could use this to get to where you are going. You could Absolutely. use this instead of a car. So that's the direct one. But the ripple effect is that, again, it, it starts to relieve traffic congestion because you're taking a car off the road during those peak travel times. It 
begins to relieve other issues that are related to traffic congestion, like pollution. It uh, is taking off more wear and tear on city infrastructure. It's crazy to think about when you start looking at big, big picture, but you begin to realize that this is a much larger uh, uh, influence than just, I got to work way faster (laughs) and I'm not sweaty. Uh, So, you know, I don't like to get grandiose necessarily, but I do like to to acknowledge the fact that sometimes uh, things that you're looking at, like in a narrow focus, while they are true, it's not the whole story. And if you start peeling back, you realize this has potential to make uh, truly transformative changes in various communities. Uh, we're starting to see that again in Atlanta. And I think it's largely because we have companies like Edison that are leading the way into providing actual alternatives that work within a city. And now we're starting to see communities say, we want to have that. So we want to build more bike lanes. We want mm-hmm. to build more dedicated right. pathways. The Beltline that Pont City Market is right off of has not existed for very long, at least especially the stretch that goes by Pont City Market. It hasn't been open for very many years. It used to be disused uh, railroad tracks. So we're starting to see those kind of transformations in Atlanta. That's just one city where we're starting to see that happen. So uh, let's kind of dive into some of the tech of the Edison bikes and like uh, sort of how they actually work. If you were to ride one and, and I had the opportunity to ride one, I will admit I was doing the equivalent of training wheels. I did not go above the assist level one <laughs> and it goes up to five. So let's talk a little bit about what you can do on one of these bikes and, and how that pedal assist actually works on a practical level. First, I want to kind of set an expectation of like what kind of power uh, could you expect? Because uh, I've I've sold bikes to like people who ride Harley Davidsons, right? sure. And um, like I had a big guy get on a bike and he goosed the throttle and he's like, "Why aren't I going, Ryan? Come on, man!" Why? And I'm like, "Come on, dude! This is a pedal assist, uh, a pedal assist thing. Um, it produces 500 watts this motor, mm-hmm. and." Uh, It'll run at 500 watts. Uh, so if you ran this thing like full blast, it would go just over an hour. Top speed's about 25 miles an hour. So you're looking at a range between 20 and 30 miles. Um, so like if I started, I weigh a little over 200 pounds. If I started at the base of a hill and I goose the throttle, it would get me to the top. I'd probably be only going 10 miles an hour mm-hmm. or so. But if I pedaled along and just helped out that motor, like 10% of what I would like on a normal bike, you know, I'm just very gently pedaling. I can easily carry 20 miles an hour up any hill in Atlanta, right? Mm. So uh, I just want to be clear with the listeners that like we're not selling like a motorcycle or a scooter. Sure. This is a bicycle that weighs 45 pounds, uh, rides very much like a bicycle. Uh, You just feel superhuman Mm. uh, when you're riding it, right? Yeah, you you hit one of those hills that normally if you're riding a regular bike – you just feel your heart sink and you think uh, by halfway up, I'm going to be off You'll of this. I'm just going to be pu- – I'll be pushing. I'll be pushing the bike because I won't be able to make it all the way up. I'm just going to get to a point where I'm at a standstill. But pedal assist, because you have that that electric motor that can kick in and provide uh, additional power so that you can keep on powering through something like that, uh, means that you – you know. You don't have to – you don't have to sweat it literally in this case. So uh, – 
Yeah. I mean, this is one of those technologies that um, I love because it, it allows you to augment your experience, but it doesn't replace it. As you were saying, like it's not like it's an electric motorcycle. It's about augmenting so that things that might have previously been a challenge, maybe it would even be a barrier to you adopting a bicycle, are no longer a hurdle, right? right. You don't yeah, – if you're sitting there thinking like I've got four hills between me and work, it's not so big a deal if you've got something that can kick in so that you're pedaling – just you know, you don't have to pedal any harder than you did on the level stretches as mm-hmm. you do on the inclines. Right, a thousand percent. Uh, that actually reminds me. Uh, on the way home, I want to take an Instagram photo uh, where I'm holding up a dime and I'm holding it up to our city, right? Mm-hmm. Because like, with a range of twenty to thirty miles, that's how far we could go on a single dime, right? Mm-hmm. These bikes they really provide like a, a key uh, to your city. It really unlocks. Your city. Um, we're investing so much. Um, when I say we, I'm talking about Atlanta. Um, but we signed off on a bill uh, of a billion dollars to make our um, bike and pedestrian infrastructure better. Mm-hmm. Atlanta is striving to be one of the best bike communities in the, in the world. Um, however, Atlanta is not going to be any flatter, right? right? We have some pretty serious to- topography out there, right? So this kind of removes that final barrier, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for somebody you know that that is thinking about maybe uh, riding a bike or like you know alternative transportation, this takes that last barrier out, you know, and really yeah. it makes it easy and it makes it something fun, right? Like, um, and and everybody's you know kind of grown up riding bikes, right? Uh, I know you said you haven't ridden in fifteen years, but right. perhaps you would, oh, right? No, I, if we yeah. were in a flatter area, <laughs> right? Yeah, if if we were. Definitely that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's again, like when I first moved into Atlanta, it was early before anyone had really seriously started looking at putting in bike lanes. But over the years that I've, I've been living in the city of Atlanta, that has been, right. It's been crazy. Yeah. It's changed very quickly. And like I said, there are a lot of communities that they, they jumped on board that early, right? Right, There are certain ones that, you know, you just saw that immediately and other ones are following suit all the time. Even places where traditionally, you know, you would never expect to see it. That you, you're starting to see bike lanes pop up. So it's now at a point where maybe back when I first moved into Atlanta, I wouldn't have considered it. But now, I mean, I've talked about it a couple of times and I just haven't jumped on it, right? Uh, and part of it was that I had never had the experience of actually riding one of the electric sure. bikes. I've, I've seen on. them. I've co- yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was great to have a chance to do it. Right. So uh, let's let's talk about the different levels and kind of wh- how that translates into experience. So someone gets an Edison bike. They get on it. They yep. see that they've got this digital uh, controller, a digital readout that uh-huh. that gives them information. So. Uh, you know, let's let's start sure. with the levels first. Yeah, yeah. So what that looks like, uh, you hop on the bike, and you have five different levels of assist. Um, and you have like a controller um, on your left hand. It's all very intuitive. Like you have a power button in the middle, and then you have an up arrow and a down arrow. Mm-hmm. And um, like on level one, uh, you hop on the bike and you start turning the pedals, and it's going to feel like you're riding downwind. You're still doing most of the work. Um, probably 80 to 90% of the work. And, um, you know, level one is really something more like if if you're wanting to exercise or let's say um, you're going on a 60-mile uh, ride. So mm-hmm. um, my uncle, uh, he just turned 60 recently, and he was like, I want to ride in Edison 60 miles. And I was like, dude, 
I don't <laughs> think you could do it. Like that's that's a long way. And uh, I'll be darned. You know, he stayed like on assist level one and two, and his average pace was about ten miles an hour. So he wasn't going very fast. But um, he got back and he still had half a battery left. Wow. Right? So, um, you know, when I talk about range, I like to set expectations low. Sure. Because I always ride this thing like a madman. Like I want to be going 25 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, like I want to be passing those spandex riders and I want my tie <laughs> to be flapping in the wind at them, you know, saying peace. Yeah. Uh, so, um, so you have that lower level of assist and then you can arrow that puppy all the way up to level five. And like I said, level five is like superhuman mode. As soon as you start turning the pedals, you're going to take off. Mm-hmm. Um, so then on top of that, um, when you feel comfortable with the power and everything, you also have a small thumb throttle on your left hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's similarly placed to like uh, what you would find like on a four-wheeler or like some motorcycles have thumb throttles. And um, that thing is just totally variable. So you push it a little bit, it goes a little. The harder you push it, the faster you're going to go. Mm-hmm. And like I said, 500 watts is um, to give you a perspective on power, um, like those Tour de France riders, mm-hmm. they're averaging, now, you know, they're going a long way, uh, but they're averaging about 250 watts of output. Mm-hmm. And usually the question I get, well, you know, they're like going 25 plus miles an hour, but they those guys also weigh like 100 pounds and their bikes weigh like literally nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, just to kind of give you a perspective on power, these are putting out twice as much as that. Right. And I, I can tell you from experience when I was uh, taking this for a spin and I used that throttle, uh, it is an exhilarating feeling. <laughs> it's it's interesting because, again, I had never experienced that having only ever ridden traditional bicycles or analog bicycles, as you said. I had only ever ridden those. And so to have that experience where I knew what was going to happen – Mm-hmm. Uh, but knowing it and feeling it are two different things. And that right. first time you feel it where you can feel the acceleration and you're that's all coming from your thumb, right? You're not right. pedaling harder at all. You're just you suddenly going much faster. Um Yeah, that could that I could get used to that too, because it was a really fun experience. And uh you know, one of the one of my fondest memories as a kid is riding bikes like I lived on a hill and so going down the hill was great you know you right. just had that exhilarating <laughs> feeling going up the hill not as great but going down the hill was fantastic and so being able to ride a bike where you could have that same sort of experience whether you're going up or down the hill is kind of cool uh so you got to the point you you developed all the technology you've got the batteries um how long does it take typically to to charge one to full once you've drained uh, four it? hours from four hours. to full not yeah. bad at all so not too bad yeah and the charger is very reminiscent of like a mid-90s laptop charger mm. and it's it's all intelligent right so the the charger it's got a light on there that illuminates red mm. when it's charging and guess what it turns green when it's done so like people don't have to worry about overcharging it or anything like sure. that and then on on top of that, we also have what's called a BMS or battery management system, mm. and that won't let the cells discharge below ten percent or overcharge above ninety. Uh, Tesla does the same thing. I think their numbers are eighty twenty, mm-hmm. but kind of keeping the cells in those uh, in that butter zone, if you will. That's how we're able to get so many charge cycles out of a single uh, pack, which is about a thousand charge cycles right now. So, if you use this bike every day for uh, three years. Uh, you could expect to see about a 20% degradation in, in performance. Right, right, right. And then the million-dollar question that I always get after I say that is, how much does a replacement pack cost? 359 bucks. So it's not 
terribly expensive. Um, we basically just charge what it costs us to produce the pack. Um, you guys know 18650 battery cells are uh, very expensive. Uh, we use ones made by Panasonic. They're the same ones uh, that Tesla uses. Um, you can find them in your MacBooks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're ubiquitous. Um, so we don't make any money on those. We figure, you know, if you buy one of our bikes, you're, you're coming into our family uh, we're not in the battery business, right? We just want to get more butts on bikes. Right. So, uh, Ed, I'm glad you brought up the degradation, too, because that's something we've chatted about on tech stuff as well. I mean, it's a chemical reaction in batteries. And over time, that chemical reaction, uh, it, it just becomes less and less uh, potent. I mean, you, you, you're technically you're running out of the chemicals that are reacting mm-hmm. uh, over time, over the course of, of uh, hundreds of charge cycles. And so having those limitations built in so that you don't more rapidly exhaust exactly. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Then I want to talk a little bit more about uh, what the experience has been like once you got to that final form factor. You've got your own business. How how was that? What ex- what was that experience like? Because it's one thing to develop a product, right? Mm-hmm. It's one thing to go through all the engineering and to figure it out and then to even go further and say, all right, well, this was good for me, but how can I make this something that, that right. a person would want to buy? You know, it, it doesn't look like it's going to be uh, a conversion kit for a normal bike. It's right. its own thing. Clearly, there are a lot of parts, like literally a lot of parts that you have to deal with to go from – concept to prototype to shippable product to manufacturing. Can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about what, what that's been like and maybe some of the learning experiences? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, absolutely, like developing the product um, was was an incredible experience, right? Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've grown up on two wheels, um, so I feel like I brought the p- product a pretty long way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I actually uh, came to a point where I'm like, trying to, um, like, give a deliverable, right, to someone mm. else uh, and fix their problem. It's like, I'm. this is my design, and I take it, like, very personally, and I want it to be perfect. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a perfectionist. Um, and I was I was building these things in my house. Like, my house smelled like solder. <laughs> uh, we had, like, taken over, like, a bedroom and our formal living room, and uh, we're expecting a baby on the way. It was pandemonium. Um, but I was selling these things off of my front porch, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, that was kind of, like, validation um, to my design. Um, I, I have, like, a spreadsheet. Uh, and every single person that rides the bike, I, I just write their name down, you know, their contact information. And um, 80% of the people that ride the bike buy it right away. Mm-hmm. Because when you ride it, you get it. And um, I always tell every single person that buys a bike from me, I say, uh, we'll always consider ourselves to be in research and development. Mm-hmm. Like if there is anything, anything like that bugs you or this doesn't feel right or sound right, I want to know about it. Uh, about a month ago, I had a lady come into the shop and she was like, Ryan, I get this weird noise. I think it's coming from the motor and it's only when I'm going over 20 miles an hour and only when I'm going into the headwind. And I was like... Oh man, I gotta see this. Like, mm. what could that possibly be? Mm. Uh, so, like, we, we, uh, you know, I couldn't replicate the issue, and we're like going back and forth. And she's like, "No, no, I hear it, I hear it." It turned out that it was her helmet strap. <laughs> <laughs> so when her helmet strap uh, felt like a certain amount of wind, it would buzz in her ear a little bit. But like, um, you know, I'm just always like, I'm always curious, and like I said, I'm a tinkerer, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I want these things to be perfect. Uh, I think the biggest challenge for me was actually branding this mm-hmm. company. There's a ton of technology that goes into these bikes. And 
I wanted to kind of convey like a, a technology feel to mm-hmm. our company. Um, so I designed our logo, and I'm not a designer by any means. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I thought it looked very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my friends did too, but I think it's because they they like me for some reason. But uh, <laughs> uh, so we actually we partnered with like a marketing team, and they were like, Ryan, we've been to your house, like we've seen your bikes. You like clean lines. Like, you're a clean lines guy. we got to clean this up. Uh, so um, that's actually, like, if you go on the website, edisonbicycles.com, uh, <laughs> you can see they did a really good job cleaning it up, though. And it's like, uh, it's just, it's very nice. You know, just a little lightning bolt is our signature. Um, and it's it's just, um, it has, like, a really good feel to it. It's, it's a personal feel. And... Um, like when I sell bikes to people, like I said, you're buying into a family, right? This is a community. Sure. And it's like we're, we're all uh, figuring this thing out uh, together. Um, so I think personally the biggest challenge for me wasn't developing the bike or figuring out logistics and um, technology. Like I love that. I'll stay up all night playing with that. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, getting the company to where it felt human and felt good. Cool. Yeah. It's, see, it's interesting because I never really get the opportunity to talk to uh, people who have gone from an idea all the way to the point. It's crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy ride. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because it's interesting to see where challenges present themselves, right? Uh-huh. Like uh, for a lot of us as consumers, we're thinking about, oh, it must have been hard to come up with that idea. And some, and then you'll chat with someone like, oh, no, the idea part was easy. The hard part was this other thing that you uh-huh. haven't even thought about. So as another example, uh, you know, we were chatting before we came in here just about how unpredictable things that are outside of our control can sometimes have a big impact. Uh, so uh, we were talking about how uh, a hurricane could disrupt a supply chain in a way that you just – there's no oh, way to yeah. plan for it. And so, like, when you're sitting, I imagine, when you were sitting there in 2012, and you were tinkering around, and maybe even at this point, people are actually saying, hey, I I would like one of those bikes, too, if you ever would think about building one. I imagine that there was no point where you were thinking, one day, a hurricane will hit (laughs) and disrupt my entire supply chain, thus making it uh, a challenge to get things to put bikes together. (laughs) Absolutely. That's definitely been a challenge, too. Or... uh like I used to use Samsung um, SDI battery cells, mm-hmm. and like I think that they're very good. Like I got Samsung TV, all that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. not to throw any shade, but like uh, then they had all those phones that come off sure. fire, right? Mm-hmm. And this was right around the time when all the hoverboards were catching on fire, right? Right. And I was like, this would not be a good time to advertise that we <laughs> use Samsung cells, right? So um, we had since jumped over to Panasonic. So you started sourcing other possible yeah, yeah, cells. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, uh, there's a million unforeseeables like that that we've, you know, come into and it's just, uh, it's, it's a wild ride. It's fun though. Again, taking the engineering approach where you're like, you know, you look at every every problem as an opportunity to find a solution. Um, it's one of the reasons why I love talking to engineers because when I chat with them, if I present them with some something that is in, a, in a, the minds of a lot of people a problem, they're immediately just thinking, how would I go about 
solving this? How would I, what would be my approach? And it, it, to me, it's very telling about that individual person, you know, the, the pathway that they take. And again, it gets into that sort of hacker ethos, the idea of, I need to know how this works so that I can make it work better because the way it works now is not as good as it could be. I am mm-hmm. convinced of that. And every time I talk to hackers, whether they are software hackers, hardware hackers, bike hackers, uh, <laughs> I know a few biohackers. Those guys are crazy. Whoa. Yeah, they also call them grinders. Grinders who uh, will – scary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, people who will implant uh, – magnets underneath their fingers so that they can feel electromagnetic fields because it vibrates. You know, you have an electromagnetic field, a magnet comes in contact with it. The the attraction starts to uh, tug on the magnet, which is under the surface of your fingertip, which means you can actually sense when you pass through an electric field. Uh, Yeah. uh, There are people who think that's awesome. And then there are people who realize if I ever have to have an MRI, this is going to be a problem. (laughs) I'm going to, the the skin of my finger is going to be ripped off. Uh, But doesn't stop them from trying. Um, So to me, it's always exciting just to, to meet folks who have that kind of mindset because it, it, again, gives us an insight as to how some of these products come to be. Um, And, uh, do you have big plans for Edison? Is Edison, or is this is this something where you're you're really let's focus on Atlanta, or is this something where eventually we're going to see this expand to who knows where? All right, that's a great question. It's kind of top secret. Okay, no, that's kidding. fair. <laughs> no, I think right now we're... it's just me, you, and a million <laughs> listeners. Right? No, I just want to I want to perfect our model here. Yeah, and like I want to. Because, like, right now, uh, you know, we have, like, bike shops and stuff courting us, like, wanting to carry Edison bikes. And uh, we really like controlling the buying process, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, we – like, if you come into our shop at Kirkwood, have you heard of Warby Parker? Yeah. The glasses company? Yeah. Super cool. I love them. Uh, but like, if you walk into a Warby Parker, um, there's two things. One, like you're you're greeted, and it's just a cool place where like you can put your hands on their product. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of salesy, mm-hmm. right? And two, they're they're affordable, right? So like, I wanted to create like an environment like that, um, which is again not to throw any shade, but like, um, like have you ever been into a bike shop and like you just kind of get this feeling like. Uh, you know, a technician will be like, what? You don't know what a derailleur cable is or something like that? Sure. I want it to be the opposite of that. So approachable and not – and no pressure. Exactly. Right? As opposed 100% to – no pressure. As right? opposed to you are stupid because you don't know <laughs> right. as much as I do is, and right? you so, need to buy this. <laughs> exactly. So like, you know, like if you go into our shop, you're going to find comfortable couches. You're probably going to smell some good coffee brewing. And it's just like a place where like we can just geek out mm-hmm. on the bikes and – and have fun with them like we're right on a, a bike path and like we'll never we'll never push anyone like to to purchase a bike mm-hmm. because like we want this to be like uh, a comfortable fun place mm-hmm. to be right like we don't have price tags hanging from the bikes or anything like mm-hmm. that right so um like that's our model right and like i want to really try my best to control that and i i just don't know how i feel about you know just seeing edison's you know like in a in a bike shop you sure. know, next to a bunch of other bikes um, so, of course, we want to grow, right? right? I mean, like, there's plenty of other cities that have identical logistics issues to ours, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, what that will look like, we're not quite sure yet. Sure. You know, we just, we really want to focus on ground zero right now. And that's going to obviously present 
all new challenges, right? right? There's always <laughs> there's always issues with scaling. Like sure. you, what works on one scale, you know, it's again one of those things that I think. I mean, honestly, I as a consumer never really considered it until I started really doing research into tech manufacturing. But it's never as simple as you know that thing you're doing, do more do it of it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like, you know, like, oh, you've got that you've got this way to build those, just add more people and it that's not how that works typically. Uh-huh. You don't you don't scale up just by throwing more resources at it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more that goes in. And uh, the reason why I even bring that up is just, again, looking at that ripple effect. You have to think of the bigger picture. So uh, we hear about technology all the time that uh, big companies even will have shortages of products because mm-hmm. manufacturing's hard. Mm-hmm. It is not a simple thing. And whether you're talking about a bike or you're talking about, I don't know, an SNES classic that you can't buy anywhere <laughs> because they're all gone – uh, even Nintendo has these issues. So, right. uh, but I'm glad you were able to answer that honestly because, you know, the desire to grow obviously is something every business owner has at, at some level. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you clearly have ambition to, to even get into something like this in the first place. But, uh, it's also good to know that it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a challenge and that you have to gather as much information and weigh all your options as best you can before you jump into it. Because right. otherwise you're just going to end up making promises that will be really difficult to deliver right, upon. Right, right. This has been fascinating. I thank you so much for coming in here and chatting about this. And um, uh, I do recommend if you get a chance to try the experience of riding a, a pedal assist bike – uh, in general, or in Edison in particular, if you're in the Atlanta Week. area, definitely come by and check it out. Because uh, it was my first time. I had been talking about these for a while. I actually did a podcast with uh, Scott Benjamin, who is the co-host of Car Stuff. And we talked about pedal assist bikes and the technology behind it and various implementations and, and approaches to it, uh, including things like conversion kits or there are some that are like the self-contained wheels mm-hmm. that you can attach to an existing bike frame. Um Clearly, you can't control the whole experience that way because you're really just selling one element to Uh it, which is a little different from your approach where you've got the whole package. Um, But this was the first time I actually got a chance to experience it. And uh, it was kind of an ideal situation. Beautiful weather. Not too many people on the belt line, right. for which I was Best very time. thankful. <laughs> uh, I was there was there was a moment early on, not gonna lie, where I was getting real close to the edge of the uh, the belt line uh, onto the what would have been like maybe an inch drop, not enough to maybe make me worry, except right. for the fact that I was my confidence issues were not kicking in yet, <laughs> um, or rather they were kicking in. My confidence had not kicked in, but after after a little wobbly start, due to the fact that I am so out of practice. Uh, it was, it really was an interesting experience. That feeling of being able to do more than what you typically would be capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very compelling. And, uh, and also just as a way of getting from point A to point B, the idea of cutting down my commute. I, I like walking to work, but it's an hour and getting 45 minutes of that back a day, an hour and a half when you look mm-hmm. at, look at both ways. Uh, that's, I mean, it's uh, that's kind of a hard argument to right? shoot down. Significant, yeah. No, I mean, an hour and a half. I mean, that's that's so much more Halo time, man. <laughs> I, I can I can I can be a bullet sponge for an extra hour and a half. Awesome. 
But Ryan Hirsch, thank you so much for joining us on Absolutely. Tech Stuff. I really appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Excellent. Guys, if you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, whether it is a specific technology, a company, a person, maybe there's someone you would like me to interview or get on as a guest host, let me know. Send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or you can drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle for both of those is techstuff.com. HSW. Remember, typically, I stream these shows live on twitch.tv slash techstuff. Don't do it for interviews, but on my normal solo shows, you can check it out there. I record on Wednesdays and Fridays, so join me. You can jump in the chat room and talk about all the times I made mistakes and had to have Ramsey pause the recording and then start it up again. And (laughs) you get to see that happen. Uh, Otherwise, hopefully, we edit those out. I'm trusting. Ramsey's nodding. He's telling me that, yes, he does do that. Um, so you know, Sometimes. So check that out, twitch.tv slash techstuff, and I will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 